You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Hey, let's celebrate that for just a minute. So cool. Uh, We got to see a lot of people go public with their faith on Easter Sunday. It was an incredible time. Special thanks to all of you who served and have given financially to help make an impact. We had more than a thousand people uh, from Friday to Sunday hear uh, the message of Jesus. So let's celebrate the hard work that we've all put together. Yeah. Um, Maybe you want to be baptized. You didn't get a chance to get baptized on Easter Sunday. I want to encourage you to sign up. Uh, to do that. Be sure to invite a lot of families and friends to do that. Uh, Really, really exciting uh, time that we had together. Um, We have a lot of kids and youth that are growing in our church. Uh, It's a really key focus for us is reaching this next generation for Christ. Um, I want to encourage you, um, be here next Sunday. I'll share with you a little bit more. Um, But this week marks a time we've Um, that we're going to go ahead and move publicly out into some of the local schools and universities. And we're trying to recruit a full-time hire for next generation kids and youth to take the existing roles that we have and keep those, but build on top of that. So be praying for us. We're looking for ideally somebody who's been married a few years and has a few years of ministry experience. Experience. And we just want somebody to maturely, uh, that's mature, and marriage can do that, right? Uh, it can mature you really fast. Some of you guys blame your gray hair on your marriage, and uh, I get it. So it can, it can really uh, be an incredible asset to this church, though. So as the church is growing, be sure uh, to be in prayer as we look forward to launching a Thursday night service in August. Um, we're going to have kids and youth during that time, too. So we just are ramping up as a church. So again, excited about that. Here's a few things that are happening over the next few weeks. Um, Well, this this Saturday, we got a a women's spring tea. All the ladies in the house say, hey. Hey. That was weak. All the ladies in the house say, hey. hey. There you go. All right. So I won't be there. My wife will be there. It's a spring tea for you ladies. Uh, Be sure to be a part of that. A great time to connect and uh, get some encouragement, support. Additionally, our community groups are kicking off. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet signed up for one, do sign up for one. Um, Those of you that are serving as community group leaders and host homes, thank you so much. That's the place where you're really going to grow, especially in a message like you're going to hear today and in the coming weeks. It'd be really, really helpful to kind of sit around with some other folks to, to discuss some of the content and the truth that's in Scripture. When you, uh, if you want to strengthen your faith or you want to strengthen your family, uh, community groups are that place to do that. You will grow. And some of you are stronger in your faith, perhaps, than your spouse. If you want your spouse to grow, get in a community group because they're going to be with other people that are committed to grow in their faith too. If you're a single looking for a place to plug in, this can get you anchored into a community that's going to help you grow in your faith. So I want to encourage you to do that. You can sign up online today and we'll get you connected. Summer camps, last announcement uh, for the children and youth. You saw the big rock wall as you came in, perhaps at the next gen building. Um, we're going to be offering summer, summer camps this year, like always, and want to encourage you to, if you're a parent, get your kids there if you haven't already planned on doing that. So, all right, let me pray for us, and we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray uh, for this message that it would um, awaken us, Lord, to hear and respond 
uh, to you uh, in light of where we're at as believers uh, in our current culture and situation. We pray you would awaken our hearts for your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. The name of the message series today is called uh, a Distressed But Blessed. Uh, this message today is really, it's a bit of a critique on uh, American culture, and we're going to look at ancient Israel, that nation, and some of the correlations between the two. Um, it's not a, at all identical, but there is something to learn about looking back at a nation's history and seeing uh, lessons from the past, amen? Yeah, to look back at the past is, is important. Um, this is uh, a message that, that's going to talk about the distressing of the nation of Israel and how that relates to our culture and American uh, Christianity. Additionally, uh, next week, though, I'm going to be talking about God's blessing on every believer. So you don't want to miss this. Uh, so I want to encourage you to be a part of uh, these next two weeks are really, really critical uh, for you to uh, be able to grasp kind of the content and the heart behind this series. Let me start out um, saying this. I love Jesus Christ. I love the United States of America. I love all people. And I mean all people. And so when you hear this message today, this will be a, a little different, um, but it's going to be helpful to us for us to assess. So let's jump in. In 1630, um, John Winthrop, he was... Uh, in charge of Boston, he was given the role and responsibility uh, to be the governor of Boston. And many people said if George Washington was called the father of our nation, John Winthrop should be called the grandfather. Um, 1630, uh, Winthrop delivered a sermon. He was a Puritan pastor. And back then, uh, there were many Puritans, by the way, that deeply influenced the early politics of American history. Much of the forming foundational documents that we have are deeply embedded with cultural or Christian values that permeated the culture. Winthrop said this uh, on the formation and the foundation of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he said this, for we must consider that we shall be a city upon a hill. Does that sound familiar? Like any kind of biblical language when Jesus said you're to be a city on a hill as believers, a light to the world. If you're in a community group this coming week, you'll unpack the very statement when Jesus calls his believers a city on a hill. He says, the eyes of all the people are upon us so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in the work that we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us. But if our hearts shall turn away, so that we sh will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship other gods, our pleasure and our profits, and serve them, it is propounded unto us this day, we shall surely perish. Very uh, prophetic-like uh, sermon that he gave uh, for us to look at some of the similarities of what ancient Israel struggled with. 
Um, let's look what Samuel, Samuel is a prophet and he is a judge mentioned in the book of Judges. He said this, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the, the Baals, we'll get to that, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they were in terrible, help me out, distress. Uh, this is the name of the series that I am putting together over the next few weeks for us to look at. Um, and what does distress mean? I've defined it like this. Distress is, in any English translation, would be extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. Uh, you can probably agree with me pretty easily that our country, uh, in many people, are anxious. Uh, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's tension. The Hebrew uh, definition for distress is a little bit different. It means to be bound, to be tied, constrained, restricted, hampered, or controlled. Uh, I think there's some really powerful insights for us to look at uh, as we look at the book of Judges is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Judges, I'll show you kind of the storyline. I've got a chart up here um, that will help you understand the book of Judges. Um, the book of Judges, it takes place in a time frame when their leader Joshua has died. That's the very beginning of the book of Judges. And they go through this terrible cycle where they forgot kind of how God had worked in their life, delivered them from, from Egypt and bondage, and they begin to forget about God's truth. And there's kind of this cycle that happens. Israel serves the Lord for a while. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Then Israel is in, enslaved. Uh, Israel cries out to the Lord, and then God raises up a judge, and then Israel is delivered. And this cycle happens multiple times. If you look at the book of Judges, it takes place over a period of time of about three to 400 years. Um, and multiple times, the people of Israel will go out and they will, in a sense, forget about God, and they begin to worship other gods. Um, you're going to be introduced to some of these gods, and it brings incredible uh, pain and suffering upon the nation of Israel. Um, seven different times um, we're going to see this phrase. Let's look at verse 11. Uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It says this, And the people of Israel, um, let's say this together, did what was in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Seven different times in the book of Judges, that phrase is repeated. And the Hebrew culture and mindset, seven represented a completion, which meant a total do domination. Um, you, if you were a part of the Easter services, or perhaps the sunrise service, I talked about Mary Magdalene. She was, um, it said, possessed by demons and seven spirits. And that represented a total imprisonment of sin. Israel, this is the darkest uh, historical record of the nation of Israel. They've fallen into apostasy where they're leaving the Lord in mass numbers and they're worshiping other gods, this God of Baal, which we'll come back to in a minute. Let's finish out reading verse 12. It says, And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, and they abandoned the Lord again, furthermore, and served 
So they're actually now serving the Baals and the Ashtoreth, which I'll define those in a minute. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunders who plundered them. I want to share with you just for a moment the concept that there's, in a sense, a national discipline going on here. Uh, many believers have uh, uh, deviated and walked away from God, and God, in a sense, what he does is says, all of you are guilty by association, in a sense. It would be like if I was uh, left uh, with my wife on a business trip, and I tell my teenagers, hey, you're in charge of the home while I'm gone, make sure everything's good to go. Well, we come back, and guess what? They'd thrown a house party. And the house is in total disarray. There's all sorts of evidence that there's been debauchery, all sorts of immorality going on. And I get home and I say to my kids, hey, listen, we need to circle up. What just happened was unacceptable. One of the kids says, well, it wasn't me, it was him. And I say, I'm sorry, you know what? And the kids say, look, dad, what are we gonna do? And I say, well, we're gonna cancel our vacation plans. Nobody's gonna do anything. We're gonna clean up the house. Furthermore, I need all the phone numbers of the parents of the kids that were over here and we're gonna call and you're gonna have to pay for what you did. We need to right whatever was wrong. And some of the kids cry out and say, well, it wasn't me, it was him or it was her. And I say, it doesn't matter. We're all gonna suffer the consequences. No vacation, no fun. This is what we're gonna do. That's how God dealt with the nation of Israel. Some people were perhaps innocent, but the entire nation is under the judgment. They had forgotten uh, the Lord. They had turned towards other gods. They bowed down, worshiped him. They served Baals. It says, uh, verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunders who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. He gave them over to judgment. He gave them over to be conquered. If you read in the book of Daniel and you see uh, when they're in exile, it says in the very beginning that God handed them over. And it continues on. It says, verse 15, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them. That's the last hand you want against you is God's hand. When, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn. So he not only warned, but he swore to them. And they were in terrible, help me out, distress. distress. Who was? The entire nation. The entire nation. What did they do? They abandoned the Lord. They served other gods. They had forgotten what had happened. If you look at the beginning of Judges, and if you look, open your Bible and look at Judges chapter 1, it starts out with a great servant of the Lord, Joshua, has died. And so has the, all the generation that remembered that incredible conquest and then getting into the land. In American culture, um, I see in our time, perhaps one of the greatest generations, I think, that was here in our country was the generation with, when Billy Graham was in his prime. Billy Graham has passed on. He was a great servant of the Lord. If you think back on some of the times and frames, but I think that was perhaps one of the greatest generations of American history. He's gone, and so has the generation. And if you're a little older in age, uh, you probably can understand exactly what I'm about to say. 
I've talked to many folks that are, have grandparents, and they say, I'm deeply concerned about our country, the direction of our country, not just for my kids, but for my grandkids. There's a problem. When a generation dies off and they don't know the Lord anymore, then most people don't know the Lord. And then it impacts your entire culture, your entire nation. Is America under judgment? Could be. Does God historically work in such a way when a large group of people begin to turn their back on Him? Does God judge the entire nation? You look in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the answer is yes. How could you relate that? Relate it to the story of like the father who comes home from the business trip and the whole family, the all everything's a total mess and the consequences are for those that are innocent and those that are guilty. In the law, we call that guilty by uh, what is happening in American culture. I think there's three false gods of ancient Israel. We're going to see, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or Jewish, Muslim, Mormon. It doesn't matter if you're New Age or not. I'm talking about historical evidence about these different gods. They're false gods. Ultimately, they're demonic powers at work, which Israel was supposed to worship the one true God, they show up in the land of Canaan, and then they are infiltrated with all sorts of options, and they go out and worship other gods. The first one was the God of Baal. I call him the God of prosperity. Baal was the Lord of rains and fertility. He represented increased gains and profit. Many held the belief that he could bring uh, fruitfulness to one's fields and vineyards. He promised prosperity. He promised blessing. He promised increase and gain. Uh, there was temples all around. And this is why when you see in, in the Bible, it's mentioned, by the way, 130 times the name Baal or Baals. And what does that mean? Is this a literal person? No, it is not. It is a demonic spirit uh, possessing individuals to turn away against the one true God, and then they erect for themselves some kind of statue, and they would have these statues all throughout um, uh, Israel and around the known world. Uh, you could Google Baal and Baals and find this out. You don't have to be a Christian to believe this stuff. This is just a part of ancient history. Uh, Baal was worshipped everywhere. Often he was uh, cast in molten bronze or metallic. Uh, it was uh, oftentimes cast like a bull, a raging bull. Um, in some instances, it was a calf idol. They would erect and they would put it in a place of worship. It's very, very interesting to me. We'll look at uh, perhaps uh, a case study. Um, but first, let's go back to Judges 2, 11 through 12. It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. In other words, they were working um, for this demonic uh, false god. They abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers. This is what they did. Uh, you say, well, when did this start? I think it started right after uh, Moses uh, came down from uh, the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Uh, look what it says. That I think this is Israel's first national apostasy, Exodus 32, 1 through 4. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, 
the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to him, we'll take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings and the gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it. He did this with a graving tool and made a golden calf. That is the God of Baal. Um, that is a formation and foundation which uh, had promised prosperity and blessing. And it says, continuing on, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They're saying, forget Yahweh, forget the Lord. He didn't deliver you out of Egypt. It was Baal actually who did it. And immediately there's an apostasy that begins to take place and people are turning their hearts away from God, the one true God, and turning towards this other God, a false God. And it's very saddening to think of Aaron knew immediately what to do very, very quickly. This is perhaps the first case study of the nation of Israel turning to that false God. But what about American culture? This God of prosperity well, unlike ancient apostasy, the spirit would not be centered on fruit and yields of the earth or crops, but we have our own kind of new form where there's promised financial seeds of monetary profit and gain if we worship at the altar of success, that if we do whatever we can to be powerful and influential this is now the spirit of Baal at work in our country today. We don't worship as a country anymore the almighty God. We worship the almighty dollar. Jesus said these kind of terms like this. He says, nobody can have two masters. You either worship me or you worship your money. You cannot serve two. And he uses the Greek word mammon, which means a god, a counterfeit god. In American culture, there is such an obsession with success, that we will do anything for it, sacrifice our families on the altars of success just so that we can get ahead. There's nothing wrong with wealth as long as you, you don't worship your wealth. Amen? You don't worship your wealth. You worship with your wealth. Whatever you have, the Bible says all things come from the Lord, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, you steward that for the glory of God. So what's at work in the spirit of our times is this almighty dollar. It is ironic to me and perhaps very prophetic as well. In New York City, in the financial district on Wall Street, there is a bronze bull. There's a bronze bull in the financial district. It's 11 feet tall. It's 16 feet long. It does not surprise me in any way that this could be just a subtle message, maybe unknowingly that the people that are building it don't realize that this is the very same kind of image that ancient Israel would turn to for blessing, prosperity, and financial gain. Um, somebody said about that statue and described it as aggressive financial optimism and prosperity. Uh, in our country, we've removed prayer from the public school system and back in the 1960s. In our country in the 1980s, we outlawed viewing of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Um, when God established 
the nation of Israel, they needed a law. He gave them Moses to write and record the law. And the first thing that happens when the law is introduced is they come down and guess who's there? Baal. Our Ten Commandments have been taken out of the uh, mindset of our children. Um, by the way, those Ten Commandments are the very foundation and formation for every, every civilization for all time. The truth is great truth. So, there is the God at Baal at work in some sense or another. If, if uh, you are not careful, you can easily fall into that temptation where you become very materialistic, very greedy. What is that? At the end of the day, that's not God's spirit. That's the enemy's spirit at work within our generation to make us so obsessed with possessions and materialism and greed. So much that you do... You, um, there's cutthroat business practices to do whatever you can to get ahead. And so what is this? It's a perversion of what God wants to do with wealth and resources. You worship your wealth. You don't worship with your wealth. While nobody's going to go down to New York City and bow down and worship this bronze bull statue many people will bow down and sacrifice everything for the sake of financial gain when money becomes your God. That's the first uh, false God. That's perhaps one of the most um, repeated in the Bible. If you look at it, it's not Baal all the time, it's Baals because they established these idols everywhere. And there was a lot of poverty and a lot of inequality. And so the desire to get ahead would be worship this false God and he does promise financial prosperity and blessing. And did it come? Honestly, it did in so many different ways. Um, you can find results in even working on the dark side. If you go uh, right now to Sedona, and you say, I want to try to connect with my ancestral past, and you visit a medium or a, a, some kind of spirit guide or guru, um, those people will introduce you to things that are not humanly possible. The question is, is how? They're working with dark spirits. The supernatural realm is very real. The Bible says that there's angels and there's demons. If you believe in the Bible, then you have to affirm those two realities, that there are angels and there are demons. So there's a, another demonic work that was at work in ancient Israel, the, these gods that they all went after. The second one was Astaroth, the goddess of pleasure. Uh, this goddess is very unique. Uh, oftentimes when you see her name, it's associated with Baal. So it's like Baal's lover. So you'll see the Baal and Astoreth. Um, it is a very interesting God that was formed and fashioned a demonic work, a spiritual work. And again, this is not a physical person. Um, but you could just Google Astoreth and other translations. It's Ishtar, if you Google that. Uh, Ishtar is actually where we get the idea and the word even Easter. Um, the Romans actually used uh, that uh, goddess of fertility and they symbolize a festival and they symbolize it with eggs and bunnies. Um, 
I think you can redeem a holiday, but just so you know, uh, historical evidence of all this stuff is just part of our world. Astaroth was the goddess of pleasure. Uh, she was a goddess of sexuality. She was fiery, impetuous, impulsive, greedy, emotional, demanding. Um, she could be fierce like a warrior, and then in some senses, uh, she could also be um, uh, uh, give like a feminine uh, virtues and, and uh, characteristics as well. She was a breaker of rules, a trespasser of boundaries. She was a seducer, a tempstress, uh, associated with drunkenness, associated with all sorts of sexual perversions. She was in many ways, uh, both in a sense, very masculine and very feminine. And she was in many ways androgynous. She was, one ancient text described her as her identity saying, I am a woman and I am a man. In today's terms, we would call that gender neutral or non-binary. She had a cult following, included all sorts of sexual sins. In fact, uh, Jewish people would leave the temple of God and go serve at the temple of Ishtar or Astareth. And the male priest would doctor up their faces like females and pretend to be females and in order to invoke the blessings of the God of Ishtar, uh, what you would do was participate in what's called sacred temple prostitution. And it symbolized and echoed the relationship between Baal and this goddess of pleasure, Astareth. Astareth and Ishtar are the same. They're just named different uh, from different countries and different uh, civilizations. This is mentioned in the Bible too, though. Let's look at Judges 10.6. Uh, the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth. They served. What, how did they serve? Um, their men dressed up like women as priests uh, and uh, obligated, oftentimes it was recorded as well, that they would dedicate um, each female would have to dedicate herself to at least one uh, sacred temple prostitution service to a complete stranger for an exchange of money. And what did this do? It gave them a promise of financial blessing and, and, uh, on, and fruitfulness for all of their crops. Judges 2.13 says that they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth. They, they abandoned the Lord. This is what happened in ancient Israel. Nebuchadnezzar uh, would erect a gate in honor of her. Um, all throughout the Bible, it's also um, Astareth, you'll see, or Queen of Heaven. Uh, her name is Ishtar in many settings. It's, uh, it's perhaps where we get the name Esther in the Bible. Because if you studied the book of Esther in the Bible, her real name is not Esther. Her real name was Hadassah, Hadassah, which means myrtle or righteousness. She was a young Jewish girl, and she um, she's, uh, ends up being renamed by a Persian pagan king who names her after the goddess, I believe, of Astareth or Ishtar. 
the Romans would refer to this god as the sun goddess or Venus. I, is this God at work in our culture? I do think so. He's a false God, and it's, it's a demonic work that I think has blinded our generation in so many realms. It's the goddess of pleasure. It's the demonic work when a man is perhaps out and about, and he begins to get intoxicated because this God works through all that, and then begins to lust after another individual, and then commits all sorts of sexual sins. It's the same God that's at work that blurs the lines and the, the understanding of what is biblically right and pure and good in all of sexual ethics. It's not only impacting adults, but it's impacting children. I think it's the same work that we see in this sexualization in our educational system or the indoctrination of kids. It's blurred the lines. I mean, what was stunning to me was to hear that she would say, it was recorded of herself, I am a woman, I am a man. Ishtar in American culture, I mean, it has changed dramatically. The older you are, the more you perhaps see. In the 1950s, sex was a sacred um, within the confines of marriage. It was portrayed that way, or at least portrayed as taboo for, for sexual immorality uh, on television shows. Uh, the idea of divorce was frowned upon in decades past. Premarital sex, extramarital sex. Divorce was frowned upon. Uh, cohabitation was disgraceful. Children out of wedlock. Prostitution was outlawed. Pornography was taboo. And now all of this is celebrated. All of this is mainstream. You can't hardly watch a television show or a, a series on TV without some sex scene, and they're not married, and there's multiple partners, and they're probably even same sex. It's woven in everywhere, and you say, well, what's happening? What's happening is the goddess of pleasure is at work. That's what's happening. It's... It's saddening to see. It's in our media. It's in our educational system. It's in our elementary schools. It's in our universities. And you say, no, you're exaggerating. I'm not. So what's the right response? What was it for ancient Israel? 1 Samuel 12.10 says this, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So what's the right response is, is have no part of that to walk away from it, to turn away from that kind of lifestyle and those kinds of ideas and then begin to dedicate yourself to the Lord. That is the right response. And they would ask, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. I think that... Excuse me. I think, I think that what you could see in American culture is that there could be a very dangerous uh, slippery slope um, I think we are absolutely in a, in, a, in a series of kind of moral decay in our country in many ways. I think uh, most countries don't make it as far as you would think they do. Some have lasted several hundred years, but consider like the Babylonian Empire, it only lasted 86. Or what about Persia? The Persian Empire, it lasted 208. Or what about Greece? It was eclipsed. The glory of Greece was eclipsed after 268, or the British Empire. It endured for about 250 years. 
Even the mighty Rome ended after eight centuries, and the United States of America is 200, less than 246 years old, and the question comes is how many more years do we have? I think we are a nation in distress. I think it is really, the Bible says that God raises up kings and he sets kings down. He is in control of the seasons and the times. Could our, our country be under uh, judgment in a sense, even though many people are, are innocent? I think the answer is yes. Um, in so many ways, the consequences of, for our actions as a people, uh, we will feel that judgment on ourselves and the pain and the consequences of this. And some of it could be just God intervening. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that the Bible warns us about this incredibly. And our country started off with such a strong moral fabric, and there is a, a, a dying, if you will, of Christian values and vision for our culture. And as believers, we are to live in the culture. And if you want a great case study on how to be a believer in very dark times, go study the book of Daniel. He's in a very evil empire, and yet he's faithful, and God's blessing and favor is all over him. So here we go. Let's continue to look at this third God, this false God, the God of Molech, God of high places. The God of high places. Molech was an Ammonite God who worshiped, was worshipped with human sacrifice. The, this is mentioned throughout the scriptures as well. Unfortunately, you'll see King Solomon participate in this. Josiah would later tear down the altars that were built by Solomon. Um, Solomon built this high place and saddening on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Lord willing, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be in Israel and visit some of these sites. But Moloch, I've labeled him the God of high places. And, and the reason why is because if you wanted to get somewhere in life, if you were poor, if you were an outcast or you were unwanted or underprivileged in order to break out of your cycle of poverty, then you would make sacrifice to the God of Molech and he would bring you out of that. And so how did you do that? Well, you did it through the highest sacrifice of all and that would be a child sacrifice. Jeremiah 32, 35 mentions this. It was an abomination to the Lord. It says, they built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and their daughters to Molech. They would do this. Oftentimes they would do it in this area called the Hinnom Valley. It's on the southeast side of Jerusalem. It was an ugly place, a dark place. It was located on the southeast side because the prevailing winds would carry the winds away from the city for the reason it became the city dump. It was a place where you dumped dead animals. It was a place where temple sacrifices were thrown to rot and be eaten by worms. Trash was burned there. It was the city sewage. It emptied here. It was smelly, ugly. It was horrendous. During the Old Testament period of time, many of the Israelites sacrificed their children to the false gods of Molech, of Baal, and Baal in the Hinnom Valley. 
It is believed that they would build this statue of Moloch, a man with a, the head who had looked like a bull, and inside the belly was this kind of open area, and they would light a huge fire, and it would heat up, and then the individuals would bring a child into this area and set it, and the child would be no more. What's really sad and alarming, too, is that they would, turn, they would play very loud music so that nobody could hear the screams. And they'd be chanting and yelling, and this would secure blessing for that family. What's very disturbing and very sad is very, a lot of minorities partic participated in this in hopes to get out of their poverty. Many slaves did this kind of thing. Many people did this um, if they were underprivileged or they didn't have a lot. And the hopes was to break out of this and bring future blessing. It was very demonic, very evil. The Israelites didn't invent this. They accepted it and started participating in it and started being a part of it, though. It's estimated by most scholars that Israel, the nation of Israel, probably sacrificed about half a million children, little boys and girls. What's shocking, too, though, is for our American culture, ever since um, abortion has been legalized in our culture, we have our own little valley of Hinnom in American culture. There's been on estimations of about a million children ever since it was legalized, and so that put us about almost 63 million children have been sacrificed. Um, some of this could be really hard. Maybe you were um, one of those ladies who had an abortion. I'm going to tell you, I do not have a perfect past as a, a young man, but I didn't know Jesus, and I lived a very crazy lifestyle. And I would definitely say many of the girls that I were, was with prior to knowing Jesus, I didn't care what happened. If they had kids, if they had them aborted or whatever. Um, I was a very rebellious, anti-Christian individual. Um, definitely the spirit of Moloch was at work. I had very low regard for life. Friends of mine uh, killed each other out of drunkenness and, and uh, drugs. Uh, life didn't mean a lot to me. I was suicidal at one point in time. So definitely a child being aborted didn't mean hardly anything to me. Um, my wife's story, if you've never heard it, she has a very similar story. She was a radically saved, born-again individual called out of darkness to God's incredible redemption. One story I've asked if I could share is this, is that when she was carousing and living a life that was not following Jesus Christ, she was afraid she got pregnant. She terminated the pregnancy. And the doctor told her, I'm sorry to tell you this, if you, need, you need to know though, it was twins. And uh, later, she struggled with shame and guilt so much so that at one point in her life, she gives her life to Jesus Christ. She's absolutely redeemed, absolutely restored. And then I meet her and we get married and we get pregnant and the doctor says, I'll be the first to tell you you're having twins. God can redeem anything. Doesn't matter what's happened in your past. What matters right now is what are you doing with the present? What are you going to do with the future? And the goodness of God is this, is that you need to know Jesus loves children. Jesus loves sinners. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. So no matter what's happened, you need to know that God is there for you. And no matter what happens in our uh, situation, uh, we need to know that we can trust God. 
I want to show you this. God's always been against this kind of effort, though, this child sacrifice. Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. Don't ever do that. Uh, moms, if, if you're in a position where you feel like uh, you can't get out and break that cycle of poverty or you're gonna, afraid of losing an opportunity, here's my message to you. Give birth to that child and give that child an opportunity if you can't take care of it or a family or a friend, give that child up for adoption. Give that child up to be fostered. Because guess what? I got one of those kids that a mom who was on the streets who very easily could have decided to abort this child, said, I'm going to give birth to this child, and now that child is mine. Christians have always been in the business of fostering and adoption. Many times in the early um, days of the New Testament, it was said that the Christians were the ones that went into the Valley of Hinnom and picked up the unwanted children, and they started orphanages. God values human life. He values it from the womb to the delivery to no matter what your situation is, God values it tremendously. I want to share with you a video that I found pretty uh, startling. It's a kind of a wake-up call. It was uh, cycled through uh, social media over the last few weeks. It was a, a UFC champion fighter calling America to wake up and realize that they're walking away from Jesus and the biblical vision and values that we had for this country. This man comes out of uh, communist Cuba, and uh, he has a wake-up call after a championship fight, and nobody was expecting him to say this, but check this out. Yoel Romero. Something. Maybe I, I'm trying English. See, see, so sorry, I know the people don't understand me, but I'm trying. Hey, hey USC, hey Miami. Hey, Florida! Listen, people, listen, listen, listen. What happened to you, USA? What happened to you? What's going on? You forget for the, the best of the best of the world. The name is Jesus Christ. What happened to you? Wake up, USA. Go, go back for you, go. Go for Jesus. No, forget Jesus, people. No forget, Judges 3, 7 through 12 says this, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot. What's happened is people are forgetting. Uh, don't you be that person. Don't forget what God's Word has to say. Don't forget the value of truth. Jesus said it very clearly. He says, the enemy, he has come to kill, to steal, and destroy but Jesus says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. They forgot their Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Astaroth. Judges 21 25 says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's where we're at today, is it not? Just do whatever you want. If you think it's right, it's right. The Apostle Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. 1 Timothy 4.1 says that, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, that is in the end days, in this church age, this age that we're in right now, 
In latter times, some will depart from their faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Don't buy in to the false lies and the false stories that are anti-Christian, that are anti-biblical. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give life. So what must people do? What must we do as a country? What must we do as, a, as a Christians, specifically as believers? This is what was the call of the nation of Israel was when they were in their unfaithfulness. Step one, I would just say, is pray. Second Chronicles 7.14, it's a, it's a promise for their nation. It's a promise for their land. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, that's you, that's me, humble themselves, humble yourself, pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. Apostle Paul says that we're to pray, pray for everybody, pray for the people that are in the high places, the presidents, the kings. First of all, he says, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What's interesting about Paul when he's praying this, he's in between prison sentences. In, in between print, prison sentences. Uh, his, the Nero will be the king that will have him beheaded. And he's still saying, pray for him. It says in verse 3, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God, men, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that we as individuals might turn towards you. Lord, in any participation in any of this um, darkness and false gods, that we would turn away from that and turn back towards you. And Father, where we see our friends or family members turning towards this, might, they be, might we remind them that there is life in the name of Jesus and that we should never forget that, never forget that. So we pray, Holy Spirit, now for your help for each one of us where there's areas of darkness, might we bring it to light through the truthfulness of Scripture, the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and walk with you. That we'd never forget, Lord, that we are in a, an unseen, there's an unseen world at play all the time that only wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. But you, Jesus, you bring life and you bring it abundantly. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.